Welcome to Therapy with Psychedelics. Your invitation to join two Oregon-based therapists as we set out on a professional journey to explore, investigate, and evaluate the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. I'm Marty Michelson. And I'm Paula Fontinelli. And this is TWP. Therapy with Psychedelics. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. We are privileged on Therapy with Psychedelics to have as our guest today, Michelle Janikian. Michelle is a journalist. She's the author of Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, the down-to-earth guide that details everything you need to know about magic mushrooms safely and mindfully, published by Ulysses Press. There are many things we're going to learn from Michelle today about her experiences with and her study of psilocybin and magic mushrooms, as she refers to them, and we will explore that as we engage today. What a delight to have you on our podcast today, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you so much for being here with us. And I was reading your book, and it's one of those books that are based on not just, and that's what journalists do, right? But in your case, you had the personal experience. So you have a lot of information, a lot of research. And I was actually writing down all the research. So I want to look at that. I want to look at that. I want to look at that. It is in the introduction, you talk about your own experience and so much of it when I was reading because me and Marty, we, we've said this before on the podcast, we have never tried any kinds of psychedelics. So I'm kind of always gauge. <laughs> Wait, I know. what? <laughs> I actually can't believe that. What are we doing here? I know. <laughs> we are very curious about, about it. And, and I think that unconsciously, we are actually getting our, ourselves ready for the experience. And some of the things that you talk about uh, in your introduction, I was going, yeah, because sometimes I interview someone or I read a book, I say, nah, maybe I shouldn't do it. And then I read something else, I say, oh, I should definitely do it. And, <laughs> and I think you went through kind of these questions as well, although you had tried it before you'd done it, but not uh, for, as you said, as therapeutically. But one of the things you said, and I want to hear you on that, is that I expected this catharsis, that it was going to be, my ego was going to dissolve, because so many people talk about that. And you said, all I could do was cry. I was in panic. I was anxious. And it was absolutely horrible. I had my first bad trip when I actually decided to do it with you know the whole protocol of doing it therapeutically. So Michelle, that's a very long question. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Can you just tell us a little bit about that bad trip? I mean, it wasn't what you expected, right? Yeah. So yeah, you're referring to in the intro to my book, I talk about first my first mushroom journey, and there was a lot of mushroom journeys in between. And then my first journey at like a retreat in this group setting where it was all set up for both kind of spirituality and therapeutic mm -hmm. use. And yeah, to be honest, that always kind of turned me off. I don't know. Like, I'm a drug user. I like taking <laughs> drugs with my friends. The thought of doing it in front of a professional, like, strangers. Awkward. It's awkward, <laughs> strangers. And so, because, you know, I wanted to learn. I, I was writing this book. I was doing a lot of writing about psychedelics and cannabis from this kind of newer perspective, which is this more therapeutic use. 
-hmm. And so I went with that intention and just experience it to see what it was like. You know, that first bad trip, it's interesting looking back. It was almost two years ago now. And it was at a pretty low dose. Actually, it was only Mm -hmm. 1.5 grams. 1.5, right? Yeah. And I will say from more experience that that's like my nasty number. I always kind of get stuck in the mud of my negative emotions in that number. You're probably not going to lose your ego eating only 1.5 grams of dried mushrooms. So, you know, I, yeah, so I went in with this intention to, to try healing or whatever that meant. And, Mm -hmm. and it was nasty. Like a lot of stuff came up for me that I didn't realize I wasn't dealing with that I actually Mm -hmm. couldn't even write yet in the book because it was still so raw and I was face to face with it. And all I could do was cry. I wasn't actually anxious, you know, you mm-hmm. use that word, but I don't think I used it in the book. Um, mm-hmm. I knew what I was getting myself into, but there was nothing scary about it. It was just kind of devastating. It was kind of sad. I did a lot of grieving actually for things that I mm-hmm. hadn't grieved for yet or knew that were really weighing on me in a way that was really powerfully painful. And I think that does happen. That is kind of, that was actually cathartic, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I actually am really kind of thinking about a second edition of the book because I've learned so much in the two years since I've written it. It took a while for it to be cathartic, I think is what people don't understand when they read all the media about psychedelics. Oh, mushrooms, Mm. one trip, your depression's gone, you're a better person, yada, yada, yada. Like maybe, but maybe it's two years later after you're doing a lot of work and thinking about it. For me, you know, I don't go to therapy, but I'm a writer. So I do a lot of journaling and writing Mm -hmm. and thinking about these things and talking about it with friends and family. And and I, I think what I've realized is that I had a lot of nasty stuff down there that needed to come up. It's not totally healed, but mm-hmm. I've actually recently, through other trips and just, you know, being a human that's open to the world, realized a lot about that experience and why it was so dark. And I'm actually coming on the other side of it now. But yeah, it was only, it's been two years and, and it's taken me that long to get mm. to this point. I'm really thankful for how you shared that. Obviously, the title of our podcast is Therapy with Psychedelics. We are exploring and investigating how that works. And there has been in the media and in the publications that are coming out this sense that a one-trip experience really becomes cathartic for some users. So I value that you shared with us that your one-trip experience was difficult, but correct me if I'm wrong, it also sort of set you on the trajectory that then over the next couple of years, you could process that. So it still played sort of a key role in sort of this transformation of your own understanding. Is that right? And can you share about that? Yeah, absolutely. It was through, I guess I could just come out with what, so I'm like hesitant to share this because it's quite private. Just, you have to be comfortable with it. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what I want to say, I don't think I'm ready to talk about it publicly because not everyone in my personal life knows and I don't want them to hear it on a podcast instead of in a conversation. (laughs) I think that the media around psychedelics is by a lot of inexperienced people, honestly, who just want to write about the next big thing. And it's kind of why I'm fading out of it because it's kind of making me sick lately. It's all marketing for psychedelics. Like, I'm sorry, but that's not what these things are like. These things are about becoming a more open and self-aware person. And that's not something that can happen in one six, eight hour experience. It can open you up tremendously. And it's 
powerful. It can be powerfully beautiful too. It doesn't have to be all pain and tears. The dose mm -hmm. matters. Your level of preparation matters. Your past experience with psychedelics matters as well. I think for your first journey, you shouldn't even expect that much. I mean, in, in the clinical trial, sure, they give you like the equivalent of eight dried grams and they hold your hand through the whole thing. But like, I don't think that's how most people are taking mushrooms. I think they're at home with their loved ones or maybe they get some trips that are off the internet, but I don't really trust those kinds of folks either. I think you're actually safer with people that you know and trust and love and can be yourself around no matter what, because the mushrooms are going to they're going to bring down your boundaries to this place where you are very vulnerable, but also like kind of like your purest version of yourself. And it can be really beautiful, but also scary because most of us don't live an authentic life like that. We are not the purest versions of ourselves. We're the version of ourselves that we think you'll like. And we do mm -hmm. this whole performance essentially. And to see that person and to then experience love and compassion for them is, is incredibly powerful, but it doesn't necessarily change you. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't change your mind. Um, you can feel Unless really... you do the work, right? Unless you do the work, because it's not just a, What do you dose. mean? Yeah. What is the yeah. work? <laughs> yeah, and the work is what you just said you did. I mean, it's been two years and you actually said, ah, I should write a, a new edition of the book because all this thinking and the self-reflection after the experience, that's the work. Then sure. I think a lot of psychedelic people in this integration space love to use that phrase. So I like to mm -hmm. ask what they mean because yeah, it can of kind course. of feel phony to me sometimes. Like, yeah. what is the work? Like going to yoga class every day or just no. pushing your feelings down in another place? Like, I think the answer is to just be honest with yourself mm -hmm. and with the people around you. And that's the hardest thing. But that mm -hmm. is what psychedelics, I think, can help you access, not just mushrooms. I think ecstasy, like MDMA, mm -hmm. also helps people get to that place where you just kind of your boundaries are lowered and you can, you can see some things more clearly. And then, yeah, what you decide to do with that, I guess that's the work. Mm -hmm. That's where I think maybe healing or maybe feeling a little better comes mm -hmm. from. But it's actually quite hard. It takes years. It takes a lot of pain. It maybe takes... Mm -hmm letting some people in your life go or changing your career or where you live, it, it can be a big upheaval, uh, if mm -hmm. that's the expression. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly what people are looking for when they're looking for this like easy mushroom fix that's better than Prozac and healthier and natural or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important to talk about, yeah, that this stuff is a lot more complicated and a lot more painful than the pretty colors and the magazines will make you think. Yeah. I love that you bring that up. And I was curious because you talked about doing it for a long time with your friends, right? And then you go to this setting, which is the therapeutic setting, and it's something totally different. And the experience was totally different. What do you think made it so different? That's a good question. So two things, I think the environment or your setting, right? And then my intentions, which is your set essentially. And this is this mm -hmm. phrase we love to use in psychedelia, set and setting. But it does really affect your experience. When I take mushrooms with my friends, my intention is often to have fun and to see things differently and to connect with them. And we do. And that can also be very, you know, therapeutic in its own way. And and healing in its own way. And I, I feel very close to the people I've taken mushrooms with, like 
incredibly like we are connected in a very different way than other people in my life. So yeah, I think essentially it's it's just how you approach the experience and where you do it. Um, and in the therapeutic spiritual setting, I was in this circle of like 15 other, you know, people who were really struggling with things in their life. And, and we were all very open in the meetings before the ceremonies, like what we were here for. And people talked about, you know, really dark times in their life, things that traumas that happened to them that I don't think they even share with their friends or, you know, on a regular basis anyway, like, you know, childhood abuse, really hard stuff that they wanted to heal or at least like find, I think what mushrooms can also do is like help you find joy in what the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, this really horrible thing happened to me, but I'm still alive and, and I still think flowers and are beautiful and I still love the ocean and my friends and all these other things that, and I could focus on those things or I could pursue those things that bring me joy more because once you zoom out and you're in the mushroom perspective, mm. you kind of see that some of those hurts or, or at least some of the things that cause you everyday stress are really kind of petty, like in comparison to yeah. kind of this grand scheme of things that you're able to see now and you're like actually what's really important is love or family or my chosen family or my dog or whatever these things that actually bring connection. you connection yeah connection right and to the to the earth or to loved ones and and that's what that's really where the healing and the answers are Two things I want to note Michelle uh, several minutes ago you you started to share and then you held back from sharing and good for you, happy for you on that. But it also just sort of reveals that there is a depth of something that emerges in these experiences that really get down to it's, there's a private and confidential and, and an intimateness to it that isn't for a podcast like this. So thank you for that, because that, that sort of exposes something about what psilocybin or psychedelics can do. The other thing I want to ask you about, you, you sort of asked back to Paula a minute ago about what is the work, and you've used this language of self-aware and authentic and your truest self. What, what is that truest self that emerges? What is that self-awareness and how, how did you experience that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's tricky to answer because I think I'm already a quite self-aware person. So like, of course, I was going to go into mushrooms and experience more self-awareness <laughs> where like, if that's not your day-to-day -day mindset, it might not be what comes up. So I can't speak for everyone. But for me, and I also started using mushrooms quite young. So maybe it made me really self-aware at 17. And now I'm 30 something and I just kept it. I'm not really sure, honestly. Like I said, like, I think you know, your boundaries get lowered so much that you just kind of realize like this inner truth or something like, actually, I don't like all these things and I can stop pretending because what's the point? Like, like I said, when you're like kind of zoomed out, that's, it's hard to explain if you haven't taken mushrooms, but like, I do kind of feel like you kind of get like this bird's eye view of your life or the world. Um, if you're open to it, I don't know if it happens for everyone, but it happens for me quite regularly. And and I just see things more clearly like, oh, actually, I'm faking when I do X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of like uh, grating at me and making me unhappy. And I think mm. that's part of how mushrooms are healing for people is they see these things and then, and then they go and they do the work, right? They make the changes. They, they have to do some radical things radically different in their life 
now that they've seen like actually I'm only with this partner because of financial stability but they drive me insane or they're emotionally abusive or I don't know there's so many ways that this could go or like so I had this experience that I think I write about in the book where I saw that I was being a demanding kind of horrible person with my own partner while I was writing the book because I was so stressed out and writing and finishing the book felt like literally everything in the world. And I cried and I cried because I realized I was being an asshole. I was like just ordering him around like he wasn't a human, like his needs didn't matter. And I felt really bad and I, I cried, yeah. I grieved, I felt embarrassed, but I also felt very clear on what I had to do, which was not that, which was be nicer, which was mm -hmm. cook dinner more, do all these things that I was making him do because it didn't, it, ah, my life was so much more important and all these things I had to do. You should do all the other things that our household needs so I could accomplish this goal. Like that's not fair and I'm lucky he stayed with me. <laughs> and uh, And we have a much more honest, relationship now and I think a little bit more equal partnership I'm trying I'm actually quite bad at household mm -hmm. chores and cooking dinner and these <laughs> kinds of things but um so it can really go so many ways for folks but it's I think it's being so I think and I, I try to highlight this in the book it's going into the experience like yes you could go in with all these intentions but I think the best intention to have is to be just totally open to whatever comes up and then you can really be open and honest with that and, and take a look at it from new angles and, and write it down in your journal right after the trip and keep considering it and keep wondering how you can make it better. And, and if you go in with a really strict, narrow intention, I think you might be kind of putting blinders on and you could miss something. And so I do encourage people, you're like, yes, intentions and healing specific parts of yourself can be important. But I think when you go in with just a very just open to whatever could come up is when you find the most, I don't know, like gold that needs mining or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, because the intention can be something that you think you need to work on, right? And then you, you could get be wrong. That, yeah, you could <laughs> be wrong. I mean, we see this, right, Marty, in therapy a of lot. Of course, of course. When they come the first day, here's why I'm here. And we're just going, you know, we take notes, but we know that most of the times that's just a symptom, right? That's just a consequence of something deeper that you can't even see. And it takes yeah. time. Same thing with mushrooms. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way to think about it. And, and I think that's how mushrooms could really help in therapy, right? Like, I think that I really don't think that they are for every client with depression and, and rolling this out as an antidepressant terrifies me. But, um, but I do think if it should be legal and, and it should be available because I do think when you're working with people and you could be working with someone for a couple of years and they could be really stuck and not be able to see their own bullshit. And I think mushrooms could help. That's going to be really hard for some people. There are people who commit suicide after these experiences, you know, because mm -hmm. what comes up yeah. is too painful to face. And so yeah. I think yeah. you not only need to prep people on how this experience could go like, physically in your body and your mind, but also like, I don't know, you know, this can really be really worldview shifting for people. They could really see that they've been ugly and maybe crying it like out. You isn't gonna, like you did. Like you did, yeah, right? I did. Yeah. But luckily it wasn't like that bad, you know? I don't know. Other people do worse stuff, I suppose. And I, mm -hmm. and I, 
I worry about what that could be. I don't know. It, it could mm-hmm. be different than how we imagine, basically. Yeah. And I was wondering, you're talking about this, and I'm wondering about the importance of the integration part, because you actually talk about this, because you said, I was crying and crying and asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then I went through integration. And you said, then I really understood the importance of someone holding space for me. So do you, see, do you still see it like that? I think integration is doing the work. It's making these changes we talk about. Mm-hmm. It's continuing yeah. to be self-aware and to engage these difficult thoughts you had on mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Like that's integration. And, and what I said was I was crying. I was realizing these dark things. And I realized the importance of a space holder because mm-hmm. I did feel really alone in those feelings. And my, now my friend, she was my uh, you know, guide at the time. She came over and she just kept bringing me tissues. <laughs> That's all she did. And she sat with me. We talked a little mm-hmm. about like other things just to kind of like ground me because I was getting a little lost in my negative feelings. I was really low. She didn't know this, but I was having some suicidal thoughts, honestly. That's how low I was. But I was also having suicidal thoughts before this experience, and they kind of bubbled up, like we say things can come up that you weren't engaging. And mm-hmm. and she did, I never even told her this. <laughs> but she could just sense it because that's what good guides do. They were like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. she's pretty low. I think she needs just a friend, you know? It was just like presence of someone else. And that's when I realized the importance of space holding because often, well, I didn't go into mushroom trips looking for negative feelings and stuff. I went in looking for fun and I found it. Yeah. And then when I went in looking for, oh, what needs healing and all this nasty stuff came up and I felt really low, I was glad to have someone there with me to, to just bring me tissues and to put her arm around me and just sit with me kind of in silence while I kept crying. But I knew that I wasn't completely alone and that this experience was going to end and Jess was still going to be there and she was going to keep talking to me about it and over breakfast in the in the integration circles which are just like kind of like support group meetings that you do mm-hmm. in these retreats after you know and then that, that was the first ceremony of three in a week and then we did go in two more times at higher doses and I did find other feelings inside of me like n- not just the dark stuff you know playful stuff mm-hmm. came out beautiful stuff came out too and I was grateful to do it with all these these new people who are being so open and vulnerable because I felt like I could be as well when I'm actually kind of a closed person in general, I don't know, protective of my own feelings. I'm from a big city and it's just how I felt I had to be, but I saw that it wasn't always serving me. Mm-hmm. You, you've said a couple of things I want to highlight on our podcast. We're exploring and investigating the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. And one of the things you said a few minutes ago is you said you don't think this is right for everybody. And I think that's important to note. I think, of course, we know in any kind of medical science and any kind of even physical surgery on a body, some some bodies, some human bodies can undergo uh, cardiac surgery of some kind. And some people are too old or their arteries are too old or whatever. So th- not every intervention fits every body and every human. 
So I thank you for highlighting that, that while there is therapeutic potential with psychedelics, it's probably not for everybody. But I also want to note the, the language you used of tissue, right? Is someone giving you a Kleenex, if that term is easier for other people to recognize, that, that really stood out for you. And part of what we're exploring again with the therapeutic potential of psychedelics is what, what would it look like for people to use psychedelics and sit with someone? have someone there with them to literally sort of hold the tissue box and let people cry and participate that. But then also, like you shared too, a playfulness that also emerges. I wonder if there's more you could share about experiences you saw with the retreat centers. What is it like for that tissue holder? What, what is it like for that person to be there to sort of, again, sort of metaphorically hold your hand and hand you a tissue and sit with you in that? And how was that transformative for you or how have you seen that transformative for other people? Yeah, it's a good question. So I also, about a year or two later, I worked at one of these retreats as well. As a, I, I went to the other side, I wanted to experience what it was like to be a trip sitter because I didn't really know. I hadn't really held space for folks in that way. I was always kind of the one who could handle their psychedelics and would end up kind of playing that role with a group of friends, but I wasn't like there with that intention to just learn and hold space and what I will say is it's really freaking hard, actually. It's like really, it seems kind of easy because you kind of just sit there. But that's the hardest part is sitting there and not really getting that involved in what that person's going through. Just kind of being like almost like a stoic form of support for them. So what I what I was trained when I was, you know, being trained as a, a trip sitter for the retreat was actually that to go up to someone crying with tissues actually isn't like in a group setting. Um, they did, They told me to only go up if someone asked because otherwise people can kind of like stop what they're doing and feel like bad about crying or like catch themselves and do that normal thing you do when you're crying in public where you're like, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Like <laughs> I'm weirding everyone out or something. And so I was trained actually by the same person who gave me tissues to actually <laughs> like, you know, let's, let's not crawl up to someone as soon as they start crying and give them tissues because that can just get them in their head and, and you just actually want them to let it all out. And what we did instead was we gave everyone a bucket filled with tissues. So if they had to purge or if they had to cry, they already had like the supplies there near their yoga mat and they could actually kind of like handle themselves during it. And if they wanted support, they were asked to like, you know, raise their hand, which when you're really deep in it is a little bit to ask from people at the same time. So what really makes it tricky to trip sit is to not get too involved, but you want to, right? It's your human nature. When you yeah. see someone crying, you're like, oh, I want to just go Empathy, right? them and make them better. Yeah, because yeah, we're yeah. empathetic people, like especially mushroom people, we're crazy empathetic. Like it actually is like a little much. But like, <laughs> yeah, so it's tricky. I'm not the best at it because I have a difficulty kind of like compartmentalizing like that and and I think that's why therapists will make good space holders because you are trained to do that, right? You are like, when someone tells you something horrible, you're not like crying with them, even though you might want to. Like you have to like put up this kind of boundary and be professional. And and it's it's just really tricky. I think it requires a bit of training and and as well as your own psychedelic experience because then you can know how deep and scary 
these places people go to in their own mind and then you you can you can be empathetic in that way but also know that the best medicine for them right now is let them cry it out like unless they're like choking on snot or something you know yeah. like and and yeah. let them know that you're there for them if they need it but that like they should just actually just go with whatever emotions come up and let it like mm-hmm. ride that wave and let it because on the other side of it often you find in mushrooms especially like if really dark scary shit comes up but you just kind of let it happen and let let the tears come like often it that mushrooms come in waves and on the other side of that wave can be like a a kind of like a almost like a laughter it can kind of sound like crazy person laughter but mm-hmm. you can kind of like realize things are like it wasn't your fault for instance i think is a common mm-hmm. realization at the end of some of these these grief spells or you're gonna be okay or you know just the and you kind of like laugh at yourself and you can and then you can kind of feel this almost like bliss uh that it's it's a lot it's very powerful emotions in yeah. a very like almost short period of time and it can be mm-hmm. kind of scary but to be a good trip sitter is to let the person go through it and, and to just be a, a positive presence. You know, it's also like being kind of kind in your eyes and your face to know that you're not like bored. Because if people think you're bored too, they could feel like all bad about themselves. Like, oh, just this crazy lady crying. Wow, it's, she it's just wants very to get back tricky. to her kids or like something. Yeah, it's really yeah. tricky. And yeah. um, I just hope that anyone that's interested in doing it, yeah, like, I don't know. I know there's all these trainings out there and I don't know how good they are, but maybe the best training is like sitting with yourself or your loved or friend who's not like super traumatized, who just like wants to experience it or something. I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure actually. Like it's, it's, it's not easy work. You're talking, (laughs) you're talking and I'm just seeing the parallels with being a therapist too. Even the metaphorical, uh, you know, box of tissue, you should have it there, but you don't have to hand it to them. I mean, they, they will know. And I remember one time a client of mine started crying and I didn't even realize, and she was kind of looking around, Paula, where is the box of tissue? And so, oh my goodness, I forgot the box of tissue. But that's how disconnected from it you have to be, right? It's not about you interfering. And I think that's, that's a challenge. And the other ther- um, parallel that you're talking about I'm just thinking how important it is for a sitter to have the experience. Same thing with therapists, right? If you haven't done your own work, if you haven't done therapy yourself, you have no idea what they're going through. So being comfortable with that and knowing what might be happening and say, wow, yeah, I remember that happened to me too. You have to have that level of comfort with yourself first to be a good sitter, I would imagine. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I agree. And yeah, it's hard because I think human nature is to want to comfort people. And that's not exactly what it is. It's like, or make them feel better, right? Like, oh, I'd take all your bad feelings away. But it's actually we're here for you to experience those bad feelings. So hopefully you can get over them in your own terms. And it's tricky. I think without, yeah, like, I think that's why, like I said, I think that's why therapists will make good trip sitters or this whole experience makes sense in that container because you already have those skills, right? From your, your training to become a therapist. So hopefully that helps people. (laughs) 
Michelle, I want to come back to something, jump off from this, but also back to your book. Of course, in your book published by Ulysses Press, you talking about the sort of difficult side of the trip or the experience, you use the language in chapter 10, you called it the shadow. Is there a reason yeah, you use the I language of the shadow? I was very curious. I was very oh. curious about that too. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess I used it thinking that everyone, um, okay, because psychedelic people love this term. Okay. And yeah, and it's like, um, like Anne Shulgin, who was a very, she wrote a couple books with her partner, her husband, um, P. Call and T. Call. She uses this term a lot, which is one of the reasons I did. And some famous psychologist that's like escaping me, probably Stan Groff or one of these types like loves, it's like a depth psychology. I think it's like a Jungian idea okay. essentially, right? And, but so that's kind of like, so my example of me seeing my ugly demanding self is, a, is an example of my shadow, right? It was this kind of like negative part of myself that I don't typically recognize and and see in my everyday life that was actually causing me a lot of pain or or you know nastiness in my own case and I think what I learned from reading a lot of Van Shulgin's like talks and writings on the topic is that a lot of times we project our shadow in everyday life and that can be like for me it can be jealousy or like other journalists or writers who are better publishers than me or bigger books or yada 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 and i mm -hmm. and i think i don't like their work or them but really i'm just jealous of what they've accomplished because i think that's what i want right and and i think what mushrooms can do is help you in this self-awareness increasing process is help you realize when you're just projecting your shadow and when you're actually acting out of like a real emotion and your shadow is emotion and it's real too but it's often not the emotion that you think it is right it's you think that I don't know, you don't like this person and they bother you for all these reasons, but actually you're just jealous of them or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And on mushrooms, the shadow can come up and that can be the kind of negative dark stuff that you see about yourself. But I think what's important about having that experience when it comes up in the mushroom space and then you remember it in everyday life is you can engage it more often. You can be more aware of it. You can catch yourself doing it. Hopefully, like I said before, I'm already a self-aware person. So of course, this was like the whole process I went through. But I do believe that once you come face to face with your shadow on a psychedelic experience, then it is easier to see it when you're just living your normal everyday life. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's part of your work, right? Or your integration mm -hmm. is like stepping back and being like, actually, that was a whole bunch of bullshit that I was just pretending and yeah. I, I want to apologize or, you know, or catch mm -hmm. yourself and, and maybe make amends for those things. And that's hard too, but yeah. Um, yeah. hope I'm explaining that well. It's a difficult concept. It is. No, I think at least to me, it was clear. I don't know, Marty, is that clear enough? It is. It helps. Yeah, okay. I also want to note too, while you share that, obviously you talked about Jungian, Shulgin, et cetera. Uh, another aspect of who you are, Michelle, and what you bring to not only this conversation today, but you've published in a lot of venues, not beyond your book. And so I just want to note for our listeners that there are other places you can read uh, Michelle Janikian's mm -hmm. uh, expertise, uh, including doubleblindmag.com. And mm -hmm. I know you had an article published a couple of years ago 
five women who've shaped the history of psychedelics or five women you should know about in psychedelics. I'm sure you have lots of others, but I, I when you, when you're mentioning Ann Shulgin, I, I know she f- was featured in that, in that article you published as well. So you've published in a lot of places and want to acknowledge that. And also thank you for introducing our readers to names like Ann Shulgin. And also again, in this article where you talk about other women, are there, are there some other books or some, some other names of people that you would say are sort of the, the most important people we should know about in the study of psychedelics? And that could be people that have shaped the history of psychedelics and mushrooms or people that are uh, advancing the field right now. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And I always like blank when I'm put on the spot. <laughs> no problem. I would say that, um, you know, learning about the indigenous culture where these are used can be really important and really eye opening. Um, there's a great book, um, the story of Maria Sabina's life, which I found recently very powerful and interesting and in learning about Mazatec spirituality and how mushrooms fit into that is fascinating and really making me rethink this psychedelic therapy world because uh, it's so much more than that. I think it's like a very spiritual thing. And, mm-hmm. and in this tradition, you know, it's not so much like, oh, you're depressed or you have X, yeah. Y, give and me, Give me your diagnosis and I'll give you the answer. Chemical answers, imbalance. Right? Yeah. It's more like your spirit is sick and, you, and it need, things need changing to fix it. And um, it's very interesting and I'm finding it all very powerful. As far as other books, there's a ton. Maybe I'll send you an email. No problem. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we'll have that on the notes and we'll also have where to find you. But I do want to end with one question because one of the chapters you have is how to avoid a bad trip. My question is, should you avoid it though? Because it sounds like your bad trip was very good for you. So in this chapter, I also distinguish between bad and challenging And so what I consider a challenging trip is actually what I just talked about. I wouldn't consider it bad when negative emotions come up, but I was actively willing to engage them. It was Mm -hmm. challenging, but I wouldn't actually consider it bad. Um, But a bad trip, I would say, is actually just a trip that you're completely unprepared for. And so that's what I mean in that chapter. I just tell folks how to prepare themselves because if you eat mushrooms, let's say, at a party or a concert for your first time and you're in like a very overstimulating social environment and all these traumas from your past are coming up and you're like crying in a corner like, and you don't have the space and the just this relaxing environment to really get in there and and let it happen. Like that's when I think it's like a bad trip. So I just recommend folks, you know, don't take this stuff lightly. Don't take mushrooms spontaneously, like plan it out, you know, only take them with your closest friends or maybe a trip sitter and, um, you know, just give the location and your intention some thought and do it in a relaxing place. Okay. So where can they find you? Yeah, I have a website, michellejanikian.com. I'm on Instagram is the only social media I really do right now, michelle.janikian. And you can find my book anywhere, Amazon, bookstores, bookshop.org, indiebound.org. There's going to be a hardcover for Christmas on Amazon, so I might make a good gift. (laughs) And again, the title of that book is Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion. Subtitle, An Informative, Easy-to-Use Guide to Understanding Magic Mushrooms. What a delight to have had you on our podcast and YouTube channel today, Michelle. 
Thank you so much for having me again. I had such a great time. Thank you for joining us on the journey to explore, investigate, and evaluate the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. Send us an email to therapywithpsychedelics at gmail.com or reach out to us by phone in the United States at 971-915-1815. Thank you.